This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I have to scoot it up far enough so I don't trip over the carpet. I, I tend to wander. But that could just depend on how much coffee I had before I got up here. It's very, very, very possible. Um, yeah, we got, uh, we, we started out with um, reading a passage, and if you uh, picked up on it, it says that the, may he grant you your heart's desire. So by the end of the sermon, we'll know how to get anything and everything we ever wanted. <laughs> so um, we're laughing because it's prob- you already know that's probably not how the conclusion of that is going to go. Um, our series is in the summer, our series is, is Christ in the Psalms. And it's uh, just a nice break from some of the bigger books that we do or the letters and it's it's uh, I love the psalms and we kind of say this every time but there's just all these different range of emotions there's all these like personal expressions that come from the psalms um, I love the psalms because it's hard to really get a, a, a good grip on maybe the intent of the psalm uh, without connecting and weaving a bunch of other scripture into what the psalm is saying um, and I think that's a really good example of, you know, let your, have whatever your heart's desire, you know. Um, you, could, you could frame that a handful of different ways. And so uh, understanding and seeing how the, the Psalms sort of fit into the, the broader story of the Bible, uh, it, you, you, you begin to kind of see what the Lord is trying to communicate out of each one of these individual psalms. And then you get, a, hopefully, um, you get a sense of even the, 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 the personal feelings that are coming out of them. You get a sense of the, the, the joy and the rejoicing or, or in the particular psalm that we're in, the, the, the day of trouble. And, you know, your day of trouble may look different uh, than David's or Israel's in this particular situation, but uh, these are sort of experiences that, that we can all sort of relate to the, the, this day of trouble. So at the, at the end of the day, in the Psalms, we want to see more of the beauty and the glory and the majesty of, of the Christ, of the Messiah, uh, of Jesus himself, because we know sort of the, the end of the story. And so that's why we call it Christ in the Psalms. So let me pray for us and we'll jump into Psalm 20 and hopefully as we consider these things together, we will draw closer to the Lord and we'll have more joy and more peace as we, as we better understand uh, our, our Savior uh, in Psalm 20. So let me pray. Father, I thank you that you communicate to us in so many variety of ways. I think I thank you for that every Sunday, but um, yeah, even just reading through this week on my own in Isaiah, um, that's complicated. Reading through Colossians and just seeing the simplicity of the letter um, and the exhortation from Paul, or, or reading through Psalms and seeing raw emotions. Lord, you are an unchanging rock that we can stand on, and yet you are not static and boring. You are multifaceted and full. Lord, I pray that as we approach your word, I pray that as we humble ourselves before your speech in Psalm 20, uh, that you would give us a real and genuine sense of your character and your name, and that that would be a comfort to us, Lord. But I also pray, even with the psalmist here, that we would desire to see your kingdom grow. I pray that as we consider our own lives, we would think, Think bigger than that. Think of our king on his throne and our desires would be shaped to his desires and that we would request you to act and that we trust in your character as we see your kingdom grow in this world, Lord. So I thank you for this time and pray that your spirit would use your word to draw all of us closer to you. In your name I pray, amen. So that's kind of the gist of Psalm 20 and, and I think hopefully it'll... it'll um, make a little more sense as we go through each of the different points. But, but the, the thing that I'm kind of saying that this psalm is about is it's about kingdom growth. It's about kingdom growth. And uh, my outline is, is essentially 
trying to explain this a little bit. The, the growth of the kingdom. Where we have the request. There's a, there's a lot of uh, may the Lord, may he, may this. There's sort of these, these requests that, that fill the psalm. Um, we're going to talk about the desires uh, and this, this reality that he wants his, his desires to be fulfilled. He wants his plans. He wants his, uh, all of his requests, his petitions to be fulfilled. And then there's the, the process. So we'll, we'll, as we think about kingdom growth, hopefully we'll walk through this and see the request, the desires, and the process. So let's look at just the first verse here. Or, you know, the prep, the, the to the choir master, a psalm of David, um, this was David wrote the psalm, and we don't, uh, it would be cool, we don't have audio recordings of like how they sang these songs. Uh, and, it, and I can barely pronounce Hebrew letters, baby steps, but you can go online and listen to these psalms in Hebrew, and it's rhythmic. It's like, kind of like it, it, it like flows, and you can kind of hear it. Um, there's, there's poetry there. And when we translate that into the English, um, it's gone. <laughs> so, we, so, we in, so we indent in our Bibles, there's indentions that help us get an idea of sort of how it's poetically related, which would be a little more obvious um, if we were all native Hebrew speakers, but we're not. Um, so let's look at the first line. He says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Amen. Amen. So what's interesting, um, I think we say this a lot when we go through the epistles uh, in the New Testament. It says, uh, you should do this, you, 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 you. And I think uh, uh, a lot of times preachers will preface that by saying like, you is plural. Like our ESVs don't say y'all. Um, but if they did, um, we would know what was being said there. Uh, this is one of those times where the you is singular. It's an individual. This is, this is essentially a prayer uh, or a song or request from God's people to God's king. From, from God's people to God's king. And if you think about it, so it says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you He's, he, this is a, a song that's being sung or, or a poem that's about the God's king and the desire for the people, for the king to have a measure of success. And if you've ever taught uh, Sunday school to kids, uh, you get this like, this is what happens. It's like, oh, we're in the Old Testament. And if I had to summarize it, it's like, everything's going great because the king is great. And then everything goes terrible because they reject God. And then guess what? Everything is going great again. And then they, everything is going terrible. I mean, that's sort of like this like, story of the Old Testament is, the, is the, uh, the, the faithfulness of Israel and then their demise as they turn away from God and, and lean into idolatry and all these other things. And that story in the Old Testament is told through the kings. Kings and Chronicles. Then there was this king, and he was worse, and he walked in the footsteps of this terrible king. And so then down the toilet bowl goes. And then there was this king. He actually turned and was more like David. And he, and he told all the people as a leader, he was like, look, we should turn back to the law. We should uh, obey the Sabbath. We should do all these things. And then it's like Israel had some success and God gave peace in the land. And, and because of the, the godliness or the success of the king, the people of Israel have more peace in the land. So it may kind of make sense then for if I'm an Israelite um, and I don't have an election every four years, I'm like, Lord, <laughs> Help our king. <laughs> help, help him rule wisely. Uh, give him a success. Um, because as he succeeds, so also we succeed. And this idea of representation through a king is, is huge through scripture. The, the, the first king that was given dominion and representation was Adam. Adam. He said, work and keep the garden. Rule and reign in this space. Protect it. Keep it holy. And he didn't. He didn't protect it at all. 
Eve stood there and was deceived by the serpent. And the whole time, Adam is right there saying nothing, protecting nobody, totally face planting. And so now Israel in this psalm is saying, in the day of trouble, protect our king. In the day of trouble. So think about what we know about Israel. There's some debate on when David would have written this. But what are some of the troubling things in the life of Israel? What do you think? What, what caused problems in Israel? Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, sin caused problems, yes. <laughs> it manifests itself in other countries wanting to completely destroy them surrounding them and sometimes because the kings didn't do their job in places in Israel. So they're, 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 this is life and death. This is, this is uh, will I be able to feed my family next year because the Philistines came in and sacked and pillaged the whole place uh, or, or, or will we have a measure of peace because the, the, the king is leading us in a direction that, that is, is uh, honoring the Lord and that is actually giving us peace in the land. So there's, there's very much, uh, the, for, for when we talk about the kingdom, um, we, uh, we talk about the kingdom in Israel, we're very much talking about combat. We're talking about taking land, destroying cities, life and death type situations here. And I, it's just so, it's just not a sphere that we sit in. You know, we can complain about politics and, and think about difficult things in our country and there genuinely are difficult things in our country. Uh, none of us are concerned that tanks will invade us right now. Right, yeah, maybe a little bit, some of us. <laughs> Ukraine is more concerned about that, right? Like, this is why we have sympathy for this country because to just think of another country coming in, rolling into our country is like, that's terrible. It's like, we don't, we don't even like know what that's like. This is Israel's like story. <laughs> They're in the middle of all of these nations that are typically much stronger than them, much bigger than them. And God's saying, trust me, I'm gonna take care of this for you. And they're like, yeah, Lord, um, about that, there's this huge army over here. Um, and we'll, we'll get a good picture of that when we jump back into Isaiah in the fall. But this is what they're, they're asking for. They're asking in the day of trouble is like, when armies come, Lord, give success, protect our king. There's, there's weight to this. There's, there's concerns here. But look at how, he, how they ask for this protection in verses two and three. So their request, the request is that they would just the request is that they would be protected and they kind of ask how in verses in two and three. So he talks about the God of Jacob and verse two says, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. We don't really know what Selah means, but it's like a dramatic pause at, at, at the very least. But, but look at what he says. May he send you help from the sanctuary. So this is this, uh, the idea of the holy place and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. <laughs> Perfect. He is, he's thinking about in this prayer, we're thinking about armies, we're thinking about being invaded, we're thinking about warfare, and he goes to sacrifices at the temple. He's, they're asking to protect the king. Let your presence, Zion is, is where the temple is gonna be built. The sanctuary is where God's visual presence was with his people. The sacrifices are what enable Israel to live at peace with a holy God in their land. So the request for protection is saying, Lord, in order for us to be successful, 
We need your presence with us. We need your very presence as a holy and righteous and powerful God to be with us. If we're gonna be rescued in the day of trouble, you need to be accepting our sacrifices so that we, we are on good terms. If we're, our king is gonna be successful out there, you need to send help from the very throne room in presence of God himself. So the request isn't just about combat. It's about having a, being acceptable to a holy God so that he is present with the king. So that the Lord accepts the king. Which if you, um, again, you kind of see this through the lens of future kings, they, God does not regard their offerings or their sacrifices because they do it their own way. They, they build up these, you know, hey, look, all the other nations have these really cool things where they sacrifice to their God. Let's, let's do that. Let's build some of them over here. And they, they build all these different places to, to do sacrifices. And they essentially ignore what God has said. And God says, because you've ignored me, because you haven't come to me in my sanctuary where I dwell, where my presence is for real, I'll give you over to the people who are coming to destroy you. You don't, you don't ask for help in my presence. And so here with the, the people praying for, singing out to the success of their king, he's like, Lord, remember their sacrifices from the sanctuary, from where you have designed this to be the case, for, for where you are genuinely present, because that's what you have orchestrated to, to sort of allow a sinful people to be in a good relationship with a holy and righteous God. So that's their request. They're saying, protect us, Lord, from the enemies surrounding us. Protect us, Lord, from the enemies surrounding us, but do that through your presence. Do that through the very presence of a holy God. So what does he desire? Verse four. Again, we're talking about the king. And this is, David wrote this, so we're, so we can go to other parts of scripture and say, David is a man after God's own heart. Uh, uh, Calvin even says there's a, there's a sense of, uh, David also speaks as a prophet. So he knew that he was not the ultimate king to come. Da David knew that there was another Messiah. David, uh, Messiah is just the word where we get anointed from. Uh, uh, when you had a king and you were like, okay, you're the king, we're gonna pour the oil, we're gonna anoint you. That's, uh, that's where we get the idea of Messiah. It's a Greek, the Greek word for that is Christ or Christos. So Christ, Messiah, um, kind of anointed, all sort of in the same sphere here. So he knew there would be another one. So he's speaking prophetically here when he says, may he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. And there's a couple of ways to interpret verse five. You can, uh, if you look at other versions of the Bible, it may see something. It's, it could be so that we shout for joy, so that we're excited about what you do. Um, but, it, but you can also take it in the sense of may we shout for joy over your salvation. It says, may we grant your heart's desires and fulfill all your plans. And if we go back and think in light of Israel, what, what, what was the right thing for the king of Israel to desire? What was, the, what was the right plan for even for David when they, and, and before that Joshua, when they come into the land? And I think a one way to summarize is that is that Israel as a kingdom would expand to the area that God had given them. They, they, they show up in the land and say, I've given you this land. Now go and take it from the people who I have been storing up wrath for them. I've been, I've been, I've been merciful to them to a point and now you're going into the land and you're the one that's gonna execute my judgment as you spread my kingdom in the land that I have given you. 
I've given you this land. All of Exodus is about leaving Egypt and, and showing up to this land. The land is a, a really big deal. And so the king's job then was to spread the kingdom through, through, through genuine battle, spread the kingdom that God had given his people so that that kingdom could be a holy light to the rest of the world. So the king was the one responsible for these things. And, and it's, uh, if you remember from, I don't know if it was King or Chronicles, but when, they, when the, the king was supposed to write out all of the old, at the time, the Torah, all the first five books of the Bible, like, like hey, you're, you're the king now of God's people, uh, so you are need to commit God's word and what God has said to memory. So now it's your job to sit there and write out the first five books of the Bible so that those are drilled into your head. So next time you're doing a Bible reading plan and you're trudging through the first five books of the Bible, just be thankful you're not writing it all out. <laughs> um, but but the, the idea was this is God's anointed one that would accomplish God's mission and grow God's kingdom. And at this time, that was literally taking land that God had given them. And they didn't, they messed it up a lot. They didn't do it. But, it, but the desire for God's people to be holy in the land that God had given them and be a light to the world is what the king should have been all about. That should have been the king's desires. And if that would happen, verse five, may we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. If the king is, is doing what he's supposed to do and, the, and is conquering the land and there's peace in the land, now we have left Egypt as a slave people. We've landed in the land of milk and honey that God has promised. We have the presence of the true and living a whole God in our country and in nowhere else. And now because the king is obeying, we rejoice in the salvation of peace and joy in the land. We can just take in what God has promised us from the, from the very beginning. We rejoice in that. And, and I like what it says. We, you know, because there's a lot of ways we can like, like, like twist this. Uh, he, it, oh, we just conquer and crush them and rub it in and, you know, and whatever, you know, there's like, you're not approaching that necessarily with the right heart attitude. And, and I think that's what they're getting at they, when they say, well, we're going we're gonna to shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. In the name of our God, set up our banners. We're going to advertise the character of this God. Name is much more uh, related to who God is. Uh, I think when we think of name, like, hey, what's your name? Like, the word we kind of use is like, what's your label? <laughs> like, that's your label. We call you that. It may have nothing to do with who you are. Um, it doesn't mean anything about your life, but we've labeled you this because your parents put it on your birth certificate. <laughs> in scripture, name is, is so much more rooted in the character of God. That's how God reveals himself. That's how God makes himself known. And he, uh, Moses is like, uh, it, when God calls him to rescue the people and bring them into the land, he's like, well, who should I tell them? Like, what is the name of this God? How, how, how do I, he's saying, what kind of God am I, am I communicating to them? And he says that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and apparently that's not enough. He's like, okay, well, you're the God that, you know, our forefathers thought about, but like, tell me your character. Like, tell me who you are. And God answers him and says, I am who I am. That's where we get the, the name Yahweh from. He's saying, you want to know my character? You want to define me somehow? I am who I am. <laughs> there is nothing, it's dependent on me. There is nothing I am like, I am like no other. So as soon as you try to put me in uh, an understandable category, I'm going to tell you from the get-go, I'm not that. I'm self-referential. Theologians call that ah say. Completely independent of his creation. 
That's the name. That's the character. And we, we, we get more than that. You know, that's not the only thing that defines God. He is completely independent, but he's told us that he's good. He's told us that he is a God who has mercy on who he has mercy. He's told us he's a God who's faithful. He's determined to rescue a people who continually mess it up and push back against him and kings that don't do it right. But he says, when you're not faithful, I'm faithful. My name is faithfulness. He's a just God. He's a fair God. He's a powerful God. And he's saying, when we pray for our king, and the king accomplishes the purposes of God, and we rejoice, and our desire is to rejoice in your salvation, to rejoice in peace in the land, to rejoice in the kingdom coming, we're gonna do that in a way, we're gonna advertise the banners of the Lord, and we're gonna say, this is the character of the God that we worship. We're gonna reflect his image to those around us. We're gonna say we're loving and kind. We're gonna say we're just and righteous. We're gonna say that we're faithful and merciful to those around us. We're gonna be a nation in this particular situation. We're gonna be a nation, Israel, that demonstrates the glory and majesty of our God across all the world. And there's a sense, and they accomplished that later through Solomon. It kind of goes downhill after that. But, but the, the, the people are flooding in to Israel, this tiny little speck on the map in the Middle East, because Solomon asked for wisdom and follows the words of the Lord to an extent. You know, he's got some issues with women mostly. Um, he, he, it's terrible. But, but he does a lot of things that honor the Lord, and the, the nation has huge success. People are coming in from parts of the world that we don't even really know when we look back. We're like, I don't, you know, we know where that was from. We're like trying to piece history together from forever ago. In Israel, in a lot of ways, during Solomon's reign, became this light to the world. They, they set up their nation with the banners that demonstrated the character and majesty and glory of God. So that's their, their desire. The request is to, to protect through the presence of God the desire is to see the kingdom spread so that there can be a measure of peace and joy. To see the kingdom spread. So I want to take a second um, to reorient. Now that we have like kind of an idea of what's going on in Psalm 20, um, this was 3,000 years ago. Some things have changed since then a little bit. Uh, Emmaus isn't asking anyone to take up arms and bring the kingdom. You know, we're not, you know, there might be some churches like that. That's not us. Um, we're, we're there, we're, we don't think it's a physical battle for territory. Um, but as we tell the story of God, we use, um, we use kind of six symbols. We talk about creation, talk about fall, talk about Promise, which is kind of the sphere that Israel is in. Redemption, where, where Christ shows up. And the next one that we say that we're in is kingdom. So we are, as a church, saying we want to see God's kingdom spread. Definitely. We want to see God's kingdom spread. We want to see salvation come. We want to see God's character demonstrated to the world around us. So how do we make sense of that then in light of what's going on here? Since we're not picking up swords and we're not, you know, praying for our president, you know, to conquer nations and stuff. So since we're not kind of in that sphere, how do we make sense then of what's happening? And I think... Um, you know, the answer is Jesus. So let's look at verse six. He says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. And again, that's the, that's the same word for Messiah. We know that the Lord saves his anointed. When we talk about Jesus Christ, uh, it's not his last name. It's his, his title. He is the anointed. We are uh, in a kingdom 
that is not Israel, this little tiny space, we're in a kingdom that now expands the entire world. And, and Jesus is, is 100, I mean, I, I was first reading, I was reading the Psalm and I was like, I don't, do I need to pray for Jesus? You know, I feel like he's, you know, doing a good thing. Like, I'm not, wor- I'm not worried about, you know, I'm not like, well, how would I, you know, my, Lord, answer Jesus in the day of his trouble. He did. He raised him up and, and set him on the throne. So how do I, how do I make sense of this idea that I, have, I do have a kingdom? I do have a king. Uh, Paul says uh, uh, that we're call, we call him Lord in the, in the New Testament because he's on his throne. He's ruling. He's reigning. We're, we're, we're part of a kingdom. And, and I, was, I was trying to think, I was, I was wrestling with like, well, then how do I internalize this? What is my, what is my request for God to, to spread and bring the kingdom through, in, through a king who's representing me and is following the words of the Lord and is spreading his kingdom and bringing a measure of salvation? And I, my first thought was, well, God, Jesus is doing that. I'm done. <laughs> I move on to whatever the next prayer is because he's got it covered. And there, this is true. Like there's a very real sense where Jesus is sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning and spreading his kingdom. But there's, if we go back to Colossians, if we go back to Colossians 1, there's an interesting connection that wasn't clear in the Old Testament, which I think I have this on a slide somewhere. Oh, cool. I do. I just have to find this like tiny passage. Oh, I had it. Um, it's only like two pages in here. We, uh, we talked about this. We had a, we had a whole sermon on this. Um, but there's, there's, there's mystery in the Old Testament where like all the dots aren't connected. That then in the New Testament, the mystery is, is made known. It's revealed. There's, there's like, oh, there's clarity here. And, and sometimes theologians talk about that. Like you're like in a room where it's dark you can make out shapes and you kind of know like the gist, you know, if you can, your eyes adjust, you can sort of see but when they flip the lights on, all of a sudden you see with a lot more clarity. And so that's what Paul is doing right here. He's, he's reminding us of how much more clarity we have on our request for the kingdom to spread through a king that, that honors the Lord and honors him. And look at what he says in Colossians 1 verse 27. He says, to them... To us, basically, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ, which is the anointed, which is the Messiah in you, the hope of glory. The Messiah, the glory of this mystery, the reality of our King is that he is intimately connected himself with his people. You have a day of trouble. You need help from the presence of the Lord. You are an instrument for bringing the kingdom of God. So as Calvin interprets a psalm then, is since we are so intimately connected to Jesus, our king, since Paul says we are already seated with him at the right hand, make sense of that. That's how intimate that connection is. When we pray to the Lord for him to bring success and bring his kingdom and to spread his glory throughout the world, we're praying for the body of Christ, the church, you to have the presence of God enable you to bring the kingdom of God in this world. Because you are connected to Christ. When uh, Paul was Saul, so uh, New Testament, super fast forward, um, was not a huge fan of the church movement as a Jew. He was imprisoning people. He was kind of stomping it out because he didn't think it was following what God had said. Jesus shows up, talk about a, a, you know, a radical conversion, shows up and floors him with all of his glory and majesty and blinds him. You know what the first thing he says to Paul? Why are you persecuting me? 
Jesus is so intimately connected with his people that when you are persecuted, when you suffer, he personalizes that. When Paul is going after the Christians and trying to stomp that out, Jesus sees that as, Paul, why are you persecuting me? So we go back to Psalm 20. And we say, Lord, answer my king in the day of my trouble. Draw near to him with your presence. Comfort him. We can legitimately say that of ourselves and of the the church around us, of the people in our community, of the big C church, of the kingdom of God. We can say, Lord, your king is on his throne. He is ruling and reigning, but he's doing work. He's still making every enemy his footstool. He's still spreading his glory and his majesty, and he is taking territory. He's changing people's hearts. He's displaying his glory and his character through individuals. And I'm praying, Lord, I'm asking, I'm pleading that the more you spread your kingdom in this world through your people, the more rejoicing we can do in his salvation the more peace we can have. Colossians gives us, or sorry, Corinthians. Second Corinthians gives us a little bit of a, um, a sense of what this process looks like. Second Corinthians 10, look at verse three. People are, Basically, um, saying Paul is illegitimate, Paul is not part of God's kingdom, and he's defending himself. So the same, it's the same Paul that desires the spreading of God's kingdom. The, the same Paul that would have probably so many years earlier said, let's pull out swords, overthrow the Romans, and do this the old-fashioned way, <laughs> is, is reorienting us Because he's like, I want God's kingdom to expand. I want territory to be taken. I I want enemies to be conquered and people to to display the glory of God and the character of God through who they are. They want banners of God's character displayed throughout the whole world. And he helps us make sense of how that looks. He kind of helps us make sense of the process here. He says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So flesh for Paul is a good way to say like old creation. Like like he said, we used to consider Jesus according to the flesh. It's like he was a dude in the old creation with weaknesses and and got tired and and all those things. Without sin, no one's going to say. So flesh doesn't have to mean sin. So we... We walk in the flesh. Uh, it's a, uh, we, we talk about the story. There's a fall. So in this first creation, in this world, there is sin. So we can't get around that idea. But primarily when you hear the flesh, you should think uh, the, this world, this creation that we see. So we, so we walk in the flesh, according to the flesh. We are not waging war according to the flesh. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. The weapons that we are in a war, we are taking territory, but we're not doing it in a way that's the way this world operates. We're not building armies. We're not stockpiling weapons. We're not doing this in a way that the world would typically wage war. He says, but our weapons, even though they're not typical, they have divine power to destroy strongholds. I mean, that's like Old Testament. Uh, that, that's, a, that's what uh, Jericho did when they're, when they're marching around. That's what Joshua did when he just walked into kings and crushed them and burned into the ground and took territory says, we, we have divine power to destroy strongholds. And I think it's, um, you know, I, 
I'll do it anyway. It's like, uh, I think of the first thing I think of is like Dragon Ball Z, like, you know, like this power to destroy, you know, like, like that's not what he's saying. <laughs> but, but it's like, there's this, like, this idea that like, oh, okay, or maybe a, maybe a Marvel, a, uh, uh, Captain Marvel's like a new, newer version, you know, like we have power that's like extra cool and not typical, you know, but that's not what he's saying. He's not like you're going to get leveled up and be able to crush your enemies. <laughs> he, he explains it in verse 5. This is how we destroy. This is how we take territory. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive obedience to Christ, to obedience to Christ. We destroy arguments. With truth. Raised against, not me, not arguments raised against um, my political position, not arguments uh, raised against right or wrong at work, but arguments raised against the knowledge of God. Because at the end of the day, the territory that's more important to take is the one that suppresses the presence of God. That's what Satan wants. That's what the prince of the power of the powers of the air, that's what the invisible forces we want less knowledge of God. We want less knowledge of God because deep down our sin says, I'm God. I define what's right. I tell you what's true. I'm the one who has determined what's good and what's bad. I know what pleases me. And God says, you don't. My presence is fullness of joy. The territory that I am building my kingdom in, the territory that we're praying to the Father and asking for his help through his presence the good that we bring to others is ultimately the knowledge of God. And sometimes that's through giving someone a ride. Sometimes that's through showing grace when someone doesn't deserve it. Sometimes that's through helping move. Sometimes that's just being there with someone who is suffering. You're made in the image of God. And as you love and care for and wave your banners of his character, at the end of the day, you're bringing the very presence of God. And territory is being taken. And the more the presence of God spreads, the more you're going to see the pushback, the more you're going to see the anger, the more you're going to see that suppressed because that's the last thing that we want. We want to be God. We want to be in control. We want to define all these things. And it's not just bringing the presence of God. It's ourselves. It's ourselves. It's taking our thoughts captive to the obedience of our king, of our Messiah, of our anointed one. Amen. So we think about that. How can we pray? How can we pray for the desires of Christ, of our Messiah? If we look at Psalm 20, And we're requesting, Jesus, I desire for your plans to be accomplished. I want to take every thought captive obedient to you. I desire for everything your heart wants, Lord, to be what I want. How do we pray? How do we pray in a way that wants to see the kingdom grow because we, as we're united to Jesus, we're changing our thinking so that our desires match his desires. Amen. And that's like one of those like ethereal questions where you're like, yes, my desires, Jesus' desires, hands up, you know? But what does that look like at work? How many of us have th sat down and said, Lord, I do this 40 hours a week or 35 or 56, you know, wherever. I want the knowledge of God to spread. 
I want to take territory at work. What do you desire here, Lord? What is your plan? How can I accomplish this in a way that you would accomplish this? Or it could be just in relationships. You know, those are complicated enough. What does it look like to see Jesus' desires and the knowledge of God spread in a relationship? Sometimes it looks like just taking the high road and forgiving when it's not deserved. Sometimes it looks like bringing up a topic and seeking reconciliation and unity when you know it's just going to be uncomfortable. I mean, what? How do our prayers say, Lord, help me have wisdom to submit to what you've said where you have me so that you can begin to take territory? And I need your help with that through your presence. I need to have a real sense of you being with me or I'm not going to be able to do this. Verse seven in the Psalm says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. He's talking about real battle and warfare. (laughs) Like, hey, we need weapons. They didn't go out with their Bibles and say, God will take care of this. They went out and stabbed people and stuff. Like this is like war. <laughs> but it, it, he's not saying throw out the normal ways. You know, like, like we don't just sit at our desk and say, well, I'm praying that God would work. No, you have a spreadsheet or whatever, you know, like there are their means by to accomplish these things to bring God's kingdom. We don't, uh, so, th- so there, it's not about trusting in chariots or blowing them off altogether and just letting the Lord do it. So where is your, what stresses you out more? When when things are spinning, what do you go to fix? Do you go to God's character? Do you remind yourself of his faithfulness? Do you worship him? Do you just like sing praises and consider who he is? Or do you like fix the, like scramble to like, uh, send the text message to hopefully ice this over because I felt like I said something terrible or, or, or rearrange my schedule because uh, everything is messed up and, and if I can just fix this and I'll be fine or maybe I just need another job or maybe, uh, maybe I, uh, you know, the kid needs to nap or whatever, whatever thing you scramble to fix is, is showing where your heart really trusts. That's revealing what you think is going to be the most effective means to take territory and bring the kingdom of God. And God's saying, you know where I want you to trust? You know where I want the, yeah, use horses and chariots. Israel totally did. But I want your heart to be so reoriented around my presence and who I am. And when you begin to trust in me, when you begin to, to have a sense of me being there with you, Look at what it says. Horses and chariots, they collapse and fall. Conversations go bad. Schedules get blown up. Work is lame a lot of the times. Things fall apart. But those who trust in the name of the Lord of God, we rise up and stand upright. That's where you have strength as you take every thought captive to obedience to our Lord and his desires and his purposes, and you trust in the character and the beauty and the, the faithfulness and the, and the words of what God has said, and that's where your rest is. That's who's your rock. Amen. There's no collapsing and falling there. That's an unlimited resource. He ends and says, O Lord, that's that divine name. I am who I am, Yahweh, the self-existing one, the one completely independent. Save the king. May he answer us, plural, when we call. And we have something David didn't have. 
we can look and say, the king has risen from the dead. It looked like the king was defeated. It looked like everything was over and it was just beginning. The, the territory that Jesus took that day was death itself. And he says, look, this is what I've conquered. The wages of sin is death. The, the, the reality of your failure is that you deserve death, but I've already conquered that. And the same power and authority that allowed me to just walk out of the tomb is the same power and authority that I've given to you as I pour out my spirit on all my people and am faithful to you as you take territory for my kingdom, as you destroy every argument against the knowledge of God, as you represent God in the world around you. And yeah, sometimes people aren't gonna like that. But the same spirit that brought you in union with Christ is the same spirit that brings others in union with Christ and completely reorients them so that they love and worship and are drawn towards the king. That's the kind of confidence that we can have because Jesus has risen from the dead. We can pray these things and look at something that David would have only dreamed of. <laughs> things that David prophesied about that we get to see in the gospels that we get to look back and say, God has saved the king. And because he's faithful to Jesus, he will be faithful to me because I am united to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have equipped us to take territory for your name. Lord, we don't do that through uh, means that would be typical of this world. Um, we do that through your word. We do that through your presence. We do that as we demonstrate and proclaim your character. Lord, and we know that isn't always um, taken well. Um, that can be extremely awkward. Um, and can be extremely encouraging, but we trust and we put our hope in the reality that you have rescued your son. And so you will rescue us. You will grow your kingdom. And unlike all the broken kings of the past in Israel, Lord, you are determined and you will not fail at your task. We can thank you and worship you, our perfect king. In your name I pray, amen.